Well, my name, um, point of correction, in your worship guide this morning says that I am Carson Cobb. I am not Carson Cobb. And my name is Larry Trotter, and I have a, a, an actual job description here at the church, and then I have a working job description. The working job description is way more fun. It's the pastor of spiritual stuff and fun retreats. And so as the pastor of fun retreats, uh, there's a couple coming up that I get to be part of. One you've already heard about, and that is the men's retreat. Guys, I hope you'll come. Uh, we're focusing on taking the next step in prayer together. And if prayer, as Tim Keller said, is is entering into the very happiness of God himself, then this is really going to be worth your time. So I, I hope you'll come. And then um, Steph and I are hosting uh, in September um, our second, hopefully annual, singles retreat at Northwood. We had a first one last year. It was amazing. Um, and I hope you'll join us. Um, we saw really Great friendships forged on that retreat, but most importantly, we saw a really rich friendship with Christ formed in one of the most beautiful places in North Carolina outside of Alacruces. So if you are single, Northwake is your home. There's information on our website and our social media. I hope you'll sign up soon uh, so we can have a good head count for coming to that. It's, it, is a, it is one of my favorite things that I've got to do. So um, all of that said... When you heard that passage read, maybe for the first time, uh, you cannot be blamed for wondering if Grandpa Q, that's my nickname for the wise old sage who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, if Grandpa Q had gone off his meds. Um, he's throwing bread into water, he, trees are falling every which way, staring at clouds, babies are being born, seeds are being sowed, and it's all vanity, right? So... So what is that all about? Um, mercifully this morning, I'm borderline fluent in grandpa. And so we're expecting our 10th grandchild uh, this fall. So let me see if I can make some sense out of what Grandpa Q is saying for us. If you'll find your way in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes in the sticky pages of the Old Testament, um, chapter 11. Uh, we're nearing the end of the book, and things are going to get really hopeful next week. So uh, don't, don't miss that as Carson brings that to us next week. Let me pray for us again, if I could. Lord, have mercy on us now by your good word and your spirit. Even in this thorny, uh, hard-to-understand passage, bring good to your people, uh, we pray. Amen. All right. So... Lord, pray, pray, help us, Lord, with this one. It's a little tricky. If I had a working title for this sermon, it might be this. We are dumb. How should we then live? Okay? Um, and with that title, I'm combining uh, language that's used by two of my favorite thinkers. The last phrase, how should we then live, comes from a book by a Christian philosopher Francis Schaeffer. And the first part of that, We Are Dumb, comes from Northwake blogger Mary Catherine Lassiter. She had a wonderful blog post a couple weeks ago. I hope you got to read it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote it at length this morning. But let me make a shameless plug for that post that happens every week. It's sometimes referred to as Med for Prep. That's shorthand for meditation for preparation. And these blogs are written and sent out every week. Um, specifically to prime your spiritual pump and get you ready for this event of gathered worship. Um, they're posted on the front page of our website and everywhere else imaginable here at Northwake. 
and you really should read them as you get ready for Sunday mornings. Um, in keeping with our theme, it would be dumb not to, okay? So let's go back to that quote from Mary Catherine in her blog, which was titled, Don't Look Now, But Our Dumb Is Showing, right? This is what Mary Catherine wrote, super helpful in thinking about Ecclesiastes. She said, when my nephew was young, he had a game on his iPad called Dumb Ways to Die. I remember thinking, this is a weird game for a child to play. It had a catchy little song in the game, Beans Die from Strange Accidents. And while she was reading through last week's, or two weeks ago passage in Ecclesiastes 10 and seeing all the weird ways one could die, um, I couldn't help but think of the little song that went with the game. So I decided to look up the game. She says, imagine my shock when I find out that Dumb Ways to Die started not as a game but as an actual pu public service announcement, a real way to warn people about real dangers. It was launched back in 2012, and Dumb Ways to Die was originally created as a rail safety campaign for Metro Trains Melbourne before growing to become a hugely successful brand in its own right. And in, and in that game, we follow the lives of beings that live with impulsive, gleeful uh, naivety. Dumb, funny, and clearly unsafe, it's designed to hold up a mirror to our own dumb behavior ultimately helping us be a little safer. And so she goes on to say, I can't help but think that if Metro Trains Melbourne realizes that we as humans need a mirror to expose our own dumb behavior, we should not be shocked that we find the same within the words of Scripture. And then she says, we are dumb. Sorry, but it's true. You might think, but I have a degree, or I am successful at my business, or, or I know dumb people and I am not like them. She says, the truth is, you are dumb. I am dumb. We as a people are dumb. As Agent K says in Men in Black, people are dumb. We all make foolish decisions. We all follow our own path. We all think we know best. And we all find ourselves in the middle of consequences for those decisions. It's inevitable, which is hard if you want to be perfect, or you at least want people to think you have it all together. It's also hard if you're too prideful to admit your dumb mistakes and learn from them. See, I think Grandpa Q... Uh, would love both that PSA, that public service announcement for um, trains in Melbourne, and Mary Catherine's blog. Um, four times in this little group of eight verses that you heard read, Grandpa Q tells us, essentially, we are dumb. He does it by gently pointing out things that we do not know and cannot know. Um, Let's listen together to his wise words about the limits of our abilities to know things. And those four times that he says that we don't know stuff, that we're dumb, essentially, I'm going to group them into three things that he says we simply cannot know with any degree of certainty. The first, he says we can't know the future. And the case that he puts forward, he says we can't know when disasters will come. Uh, look at verse 2. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Now, now, clearly, we're much better at predicting natural disasters than folks did back in Grandpa Q's day. By some counts, that would be about 3,000 years ago, right? But clearly, there are points at which we're still pretty sorry at predicting natural disasters. Consider this quote that I ran across from the United States Geological Survey, of all people. And it's current. This is not like from 100 years ago. This is current on their website. Question, can you predict earthquakes? Answer, no. 
Neither the USGS nor any other scientists have ever predicted a major earthquake. We do not know how, and we do not expect to know how anytime in the foreseeable future, right? Point made. We cannot know the future, perhaps especially, we don't know when disasters will come, be they natural or personal. Second thing Grandpa Q says we're not able to sort out is comprehending the work of God as maker. Verse 5. He says, you do not know the work of God who makes everything. There's an ancient Old Testament book called the book of Job. And in it, God has a dialogue with a man by that name, Job, about regarding, about creation. And he kind of takes Job to task here. In chapter 38, I'll just read it to you. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man, Job, and I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors? When it burst out from the womb, when I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it for, and set bars and doors and said, thus far shall you come and no farther and here shall, shall your proud waves be stayed. And God puts Job in his place, right? And all of us along with him. And if you were to read the rest of Job 38, you find out God's just getting warmed up in terms of putting us in our place. Um, just a little aside here. Notice that Grandpa Q really believes that God made everything. He's Lord of all. He's maker and sustainer of everything. And that really shapes, I think, the advice that he's going to give us in just a few minutes. But if we go back to our passage, Grandpa Q gives a specific example of our dumbness with something as commonplace as the birth of a child. We can't know how God works in the womb, he's saying, or in his words, the way life comes to the womb. Verse 5, as you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you don't know the work of God who makes everything. So, so again, surely we understand fetal development way, way better than the folks did 3,000 years ago, right? But when we start pondering uh, questions like, when does life begin? How does it begin? Even a recent former president of the United States claimed that was above his pay grade, right? Um, and if you don't sense kind of the unknowable mystery um, surrounding conception and the subsequent birth that follows, and you'll, you've likely never felt the kick of your daughter while she is inside her mother or seen the image of your unborn son as he sucks his thumb in the womb. Conception and the giving of life and pregnancy and childbirth, it's a sacred, wondrous thing. I mean, think, think about this for a moment. The next time you see someone who's with child, right? There's a person in there. An actual human person is in there. And 
When it comes time for that person to come out, she will inflict such unimaginable pain. It's unimaginable to a man upon her, her mother. And then, voila, that's how it happens, voila. Uh, they actually say that when they come out, right? Voila, a, a person comes out. It's, I watched this happen with my own eyes five times as my wife brought our children into this world and I about passed out with wonder and general queasiness every single time. <laughs> Grandpa Q's right, you know? We don't know how God makes things, especially we surely do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the woman and the womb of a woman with child. He says, here's a, here's a third thing we're pretty clueless about. We don't know which horse to bet on. In other words, uh, we don't know what will succeed. Look down at verse 6. In the morning sow your seed, and in the evening withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. So just as a case in point, the horse racing industry in 2022 was projected to make, to profit, $3.68 billion. Okay, that should tell you how good we are at playing the odds, right? When they make almost $4 billion. Now, Grandpa Q is writing, he's not down at the track here, but rather he's down at the farm with this illustration. And if you've ever known a farmer or been or grew up on a farm, um, you know that farms are at the mercy of so many unknowables, right? Weather, pests, equipment failure, now on and on. As Proverbs 27 puts it, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. We cannot know the future or the way God works in making all things. Or, or what will succeed at the end of the day. And Grandpa Q uses these three points to say that we are, in a sense, pretty dumb. Um, there are a lot of really significant, important things that we just cannot grasp. We cannot know. He goes on to say that um, not only can we not know it, we can't do anything about it if we did. Stuff happens and there's nothing we can do about it. That seems to be the point of two little odd sayings in verse 3, where he says, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. No explanation needed, right? Just perfectly... So clouds rain when they please, he says. This speaks of a kind of inevitability to our world. Um, stuff happens and we can do little or nothing about it. If you've ever been to an outdoor concert or a sporting event that got canceled by weather, you know this to be true. Uh, anybody watching Wimbledon, right? Or the rain delays that are mostly Wimbledon this week? Um, a tree falls any which way and it lies there. It speaks of a kind of randomness or an unpredictability to our world. They fall to the north or to the south. Who knows? But some, again, might say, uh, we're not living in 900 B.C. We can predict the weather, and we have chainsaws. Right? Um, but you know, I ran across this interesting stat regarding the 2022 hurricane season in the U.S., a couple of different studies 
Um, there are 19 organizations that issued forecasts last spring. Um, 17 of them initially predicted an above-average hurricane season. Later on, that was amended. All 19 of them predicted an above-average hurricane season. And most of the markers were below average. 19 of 19 said it would be above average. Most of the markers were below. There's another one um, forecasted. There were 10 groups forecasted major. Another 10 groups forecasted major, major hurricanes. All of them, all 10 predicted activity would be above the median of activity for the past 30 years in the month of August. And turns out we were not at the, we were at the 40th percentile. We're below average in the month of, in the month of August. We're, we're, all our experts were wrong about hurricane predictions in 2022. Of course, we live in North Carolina. I don't have to tell you how futile it is to try to predict the timing and location of next year's or even next month's hurricanes. Grandpa Q's telling us, we're dumb about this kind of stuff. We cannot know it. And if he's right, as Mary, as Mary Catherine put it, our dumb is showing, how should we then live when we cannot know what the future holds? And Grandpa Q has some thoughts for us on that. Um, he starts first, though, with how not to live in light of our limited knowledge in verse 4. He says, he who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. And the idea there seems to be that this person, again, thinking like a farmer, he, he can't figure things out, so he's passive, inactive. Think a farmer who, in the spring, out of fear of, of an August hurricane, won't sow seed, right? That seems to be kind of what he's got in mind here. The response to our dumbness, our inability to know all things, must not be fearful in action, Grandpa Q says. That's not a wise way to live. And so instead, he gives us four bits of advice that he deems wiser than fearful inaction in light of what we don't know and can't know. And as we walk through them, I just want you to listen for the one that might suit you well, that you could put on and wear out of here and live wisely in light of an unknown future. Okay. That's the goal this morning. What's the one thing that Grandpa Q has for you? Uh, you don't get bonus points for reproducing my outline, right? The one thing. What's your thing? What's the wisdom God has for you? So, wise living. In light of what we do not know and cannot know, Grandpa Q says means, first, living like life's a long game, right? And you pick this up in the very first verse um, behind some business advice that he seems to give. Cast your bread upon the waters and you will find it after many days. Now, this is not to be taken literally. Okay? It's not like he's out feeding ducks or something, um, Rather, this seems to be a life lesson coached in business language, shipping language to be precise. Bread is like the commodity and shipping is the means. Send your product to market, off to market on the waters, and after many days your profit will sail back to you. That, that may be what lurks behind this kind of cryptic saying. Um, see, for them it would have been a long-term investment. I mean, think about it. When the ship sailed off with your grain on it, you wouldn't hear anything for months, maybe seasons. There's no GPS tracking of your shipment. There's no real-time updates. 
But if you're patient, Grandpa Q says, it will come back to you. And it turns out it's some pretty good investment advice, right? Uh, play the long game. At least that's what my singing financial advisor tells me. Um, he, he shows me, he gets out these charts and like, they don't just go back like 10 years. It's like at the beginning of the uh, stock market and he shows you a chart for like a century and shows you how, how this plays out. And then he says, don't stop thinking about tomorrow. Don't stop. It'll soon be here. It'll be better than before. Yesterday's gone. Yesterday's gone. And if you want a financial advisor who sings your financial advice to you, I, I know a guy. But this is more than just decent investment advice. It's whole life, has whole life implication. It has especially faith implications. Our faith is a long game. It has a history. For some of us, we can measure that in decades. And we dare not forget that history of the faithfulness of our God when we lose sight of it in the present moment. When God seemingly disappoints us in the moment, we have to remember the, those decades of his faithfulness and let them shape us. The Christian life does not work like this chart, right? So let's make uh, the vertical axes there uh, good stuff that's evident, evident kindnesses of God to us. And the uh, horizontal axis is time, and so it always goes up, and you always just see more and more of the evident kindness of God, and there's never a downward turn. That's not how the Christian life works. The Christian life looks more like this chart. Um, yeah, lots of ups and downs at any given point. Um, it might be a, a horrific downturn, right? But, but ultimately, the trend is up. My point is that ultimately, God will not disappoint you. Grandpa Q put it this way back in chapter 8. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. And the New Testament echoes that confidence beautifully. It says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. But along the way, we are dumb. We cannot see the future and how, how it could possibly profit us. And yet God has promised to be at work for our good in all these different ups and downs that are our life. Life is a long-term investment, Grandpa Q says. Faith is a long-term investment. We're playing the long game here. Persevere, he says, in light of that. Now, a second way he says to live wisely in light of all that we cannot know is in the very next verse, verse 2. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. So he says, give a portion to seven or eight. Um, and this proverb can go a couple of different ways. He can still be talking about kind of a business model, and he's commending diversification of investment in your shipping, right? Send seven ships, send eight, because you don't know if one of them's going to get swallowed by the white whale or, or, or something like that. But another way to think about it is that he's talking about a kind of generosity here, a giving a portion to seven or even eight in need. And uh, we'll, we'll pick up the 
diversification idea in a, in a little bit. So I'm going to lean into that generosity angle here. And he tells us, in light of all that we cannot know, be generous. It's, a kind, it's kind of counterintuitive, right? A disaster might be coming, so be generous, right? Who thinks like that? Who would do that? We are to do that, right? From the perspective of faith, that is so very wise and good for us. Um, when disaster looms, even if it's just looming in our mind, we naturally tend to pull back, circle the wagons, circle the wagons around me and mine to make sure we're okay. And, and there's some wisdom in that for sure. But that is precisely the time when generosity to the seventh and eighth degree slays fearful self-interest and, and dominating self-protection. Right? So earlier this year, you know, every month we throw up a, some numbers um, to tell you how the church is doing with giving. And if we put brackets around those numbers, that's bad because it means we're below budget. And earlier this year, we were pretty well below budget. Um, that this gets gotten better, uh, but we were in we were in a pretty good hole uh, coming out of the blocks early in the year, and um, the tendency, the immediate natural human tendency is is for us even as pastors. Let's circle the wagons. Uh, let's be a little less, less generous with the church's money until this tight season passes. Let's let's be careful. Let's be let's be wise and. Uh, you know, admittedly, it might come to that, but my concern is we can't lead with that. That can't be our first impulse. That isn't the wisdom born of faith speaking. More likely, it's the wisdom born of fear speaking. So one commentator on Ecclesiastes kind of took this angle as he said, some people say the future is uncertain, so don't eat dessert. Save that money for what you truly need, sustenance, meat and potatoes, no dessert for you. Okay? Another group of people will say, the future is uncertain, so eat dessert first. You don't know if you're going to be around to eat dessert tomorrow, so dessert for every meal, we just eat dessert. But Grandpa Q is pointing us towards a wiser course that's anchored in faith. And he says, the future is uncertain, so give your dessert away. Walk by faith, he says, not by sight. Be generous even when the future is uncertain. Maybe especially then you should be generous. That seems to be in part why Jesus points out the crazy generous widow to his disciples in Mark 12. Jesus sat down opposite the treasury, watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So Grandpa Q is telling us it's wise to be generous even amidst uncertainty, and Jesus agrees. He's got a third piece of advice. 
in light of our dumbness, what we cannot know. And that is this diversify angle. And it comes up again down in verse 6. In the morning sow your seed, and in the evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. And so you don't know what crop is going to grow, so sow liberally. Surely one of them is going to grow. Um, and Jesus may have had this idea in the back of his mind when he told a story about a crazy farmer who slung seed everywhere. Some of it he threw onto the path, and some ended up on rocky soil, and some amongst thorns, and at last some amongst good soil. He sowed everywhere in the hopes that something would take root and grow. And the seed in Jesus' story, he tells us, Jesus does, is the word of God. And the story would seem to urge us to be like this farmer, to sow the word in lots of places, lots of relationships, lots of lives, and see what takes root and grows. So I wonder this morning, is there somewhere or someone that you could offer maybe to read the Bible with? Hey, have you ever read the Bible? Would you be interested in, in reading the Bible together? And have a go at the Gospel of John maybe together where you read a chapter and talk about it. Um, we've seen lots and lots of people engage simply by reading a gospel together where you sow some gospel seed and see what might take root and bear fruit, beautiful fruit in someone's life. Because we cannot know the outcome, Grandpa Q urges us to live wisely by diversely sowing broadly. Right? The last thing he has for us about living wisely um, in light of what we cannot know is to choose joy. Look at our last two verses today in verse 7 and 8. He says, light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. So here he seems to be addressing especially those of us who are a bit older. Um, those of you who are younger, he's going to get you next week. But this week, he's thinking about those of us who are a little older. And he essentially says the same thing that ubiquitous stick figure t-shirt says, uh, life is good, right? When he says light is sweet, that's essentially what it's saying. Just to live another day under the sun on this amazing planet is pretty sweet. Um, and so he urges those of us, even those of us who are living many years he says, to choose joy every year. Choose joy every day. Choose joy. And the fuel for joy is thankfulness, a wondrous thankfulness. I get to worship with these people. I get to, I get to sit under the leadership of those amazing musicians. I get to drive this car. And this car got me to church today. I get to take this breath. I get to eat this meal. I get to hear this song. I get to see those flowers supremely. I am thankful that the cross of Jesus covers my sin. And he says that this 
choosing joy, fueled by thankfulness, I would add. He says this is important for those of us who are older because what he calls days of darkness are coming. And that is in part probably an allusion to death. But in the next chapter, it's interesting, the image of darkness is a symbol of the suffering that aging brings on. Days when all of a sudden life is not good, right? Um, that may be part, this may be part of what he has in mind too. Rejoice every year, he says, every day because the dark days of cataracts and arthritis and such are coming and they're going to go on and on and on. So... Um, I just turned, I turned 65 in April. That's a shock to many of you. You thought I was 75. No. <laughs> turned 65 in April. And uh, man, it's been downhill since then. I just, just want to warn you guys. It's, it's, it just all drops off right then. So enjoy life. So I, so I tweak my back to start with. I tweak my back and then I get this stomach bug that passed the baton to some other kind of bug and it took like a month for me to get over both of those things and then I get a load of mulch uh, dumped at my house and I'm spreading the mulch and I'm favoring my back because I tweak my back and I wrench my hips my hips like my hips are still not right and I did it shoveling mulch which is like one step up from shoveling air uh See, the gravitational pull of aging is towards becoming grumpy, complaining old men and women. And we complain about our aches and pains and our disappointments. Lord, have mercy upon us and upon all that we bear witness to in the name of Christ. The last thing the world needs is more grumpy, old, thankless, joyless Christians. And Grandpa Q, he's old too, I bet, the way this book is written. He says, choose joy. Every year that you get to live on this planet, choose joy. And I, I would add that's fueled by thankfulness. So we're dumb. There's stuff we just can't know. The mysterious working of God in the making of all things and in the placing of life in the womb. The shape of the future. When are disasters going to strike? What will succeed and what venture will fail? We don't know. These and many, many, many other things we simply don't know. We cannot know. And in the face of that, Grandpa Q here speaks for God. Don't miss that. He's speaking for God here. And he says, live the long game. Be generous. So liberally, broadly, and rejoice. He says that is how you live wisely in face of a future you cannot know. And so I ask you, uh, listen for one thing from that list of wise descriptors that Grandpa Q laid out for us that you could put on today and walk out of here wearing and it would, it would look good on you. Did you hear one out of those things? Um, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up now. And Daniel, if you could just give us a little um, listening to God music. Um, let's just take a, let's take a minute. Let me guide you back through those four things. And, and I want you to be mindful that 
the Spirit of God takes, is taking the word now and he's showing you how to live. So what's he saying? So let's bow in prayer and let me kind of guide you through this time. Then we'll close in song. So Lord, we confess that which we do not like to confess, we are, there's a sense in which we really are dumb. We, there's so much that we simply cannot know in the information age. We cannot know the way you work in the making of all things and mysteriously placing life in the womb the shape of our future, when disaster will befall us, which venture will succeed, which one will fail. Oh, Lord, these and many, many, many more things we do not know, we cannot know. And so in the face of that, God, you bring wisdom to us and you say to us, live the long game. Cast your bread upon the waters, and after a time, they will return to you. God, is that what you are asking of us? To have a long, a long look back and forward? When we may have lost sight of you now? And when we cannot know we're to give to seven or eight, that's crazy, God, unless unless you're as faithful in the troubled times as you have been all along. And, and then it's good. And then it's wise. Are you calling us to, to be generous in a tight time? And Lord, we don't know what will succeed. We don't know whose life you're working in, who's, who you're calling to faith. And so help us not to wait passively and and to miss opportunities to speak of you, to open your word with a friend or a coworker or even a neighbor, a family member maybe, and so broadly. And then there's joy, God. The temptation is, is to be a, a grumpy, thankless people. Help us, God, to, to rejoice in the mercy that would swallow us up if we had eyes to see it. So, Lord, make plain now to us what, what piece of this wisdom are we to walk out of here wearing? Amidst all that we do not know in this life and cannot know, there is a thing we know with certainty. The Savior of the world has come, and he stays our sin, and he calms our lurking fear, and he lifts the burden from the brokenhearted. Let's close our time together, stand and sing of our sure hope that is in Christ. Would you join me?